Well, good morning, church. I trust that we are all doing well. Amen. Uh, good to see all of you. Uh, welcome to a new month in August and the 32nd week of the year. Amen. We thank God that His mercies have kept us new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. I'm glad to come your way again. Uh, as we are beginning a new series this month. But before I begin, let's first start off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your holy word, which is able to give us an inheritance, able to build us, able to challenge us, transform us, and shape us into your image. I pray that today's word will minister to your people in simplicity and clarity of speech, yet in the fullness and in the power of your spirit. I thank you, Lord, what you will do in these few minutes we have left. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. I read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to Christ, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that he might, we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Based on our scripture reading, I'll be ministering um, on the, the next four Sundays, starting from today, on the subjects that we've entitled The Ministry of Reconciliation. The Ministry of Reconciliation. I, I must admit, I was really charged when Dr. Levy ministered I think um, Dr. Lebisoga, our guest speaker from UK, uh, I think the first Sunday, May, if I'm right, he did that very powerfully and uh, uh, on Lord send me. And I think that was when that seed of this word really dropped on my heart. I had been thinking about it, but uh, his message really sparked a revolution and a fire in me. And I, I believe that today is like the perfect opportunity I feel led to really preach on this. Amen. But the scripture that we just read, uh, if you read the whole of chapter 5, Paul was basically writing to the church. This is what Paul was not talking to an unbeliever. He was talking to the church in Corinth and he was assuring them of the resurrection. What's the resurrection? The resurrection is one of the foundational truths of our Christian faith. Very foundational. And the resurrection simply means that 
we who have received Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, though we will die in this lifetime, we will resurrect in the hereafter, where God will transition and translate us from having this body to having a body that is incorruptible, a body that is immortal. We will be glorified. We will be changed into another man. That is the resurrection. And it will take that for us to really partake in the new age to come, whereby we will be with Christ. So that's a very strong um, truth. And, And that spells to us in a Christian context, our destiny. If you want to know your destiny, your destiny is that you will reign and rule with Christ one day in the hereafter. There is a heaven and there is a hell. But thanks be to God that when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we, we, we have that assurance of our future, which is a foundational truth. So Paul was really reminding the church of that. They were no strangers to that. And I believe that every now and then we will have to continually remind ourselves of the truth. We cannot be overstated, especially when it comes to the destination or the destiny of the believer who has received Christ as his Lord and personal Savior, that we are not objects of God's wrath. We are objects of his affection and his love. And not just that, but one day in the hereafter, we will reign and rule with him, having glorified bodies. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, all the 58 verses talks specifically on resurrection. So as Paul was stating that, he decided to also talk on another matter, which is also foundational, which has to do with judgment. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you will see that from verses 1 to 6, he talks on no, verses 1 to 8, I'm sorry. Yeah, verses 1 to 8, he talks on the resurrection, which is very important. So every believer has to understand the concept of resurrection. Not just that you pass on that information. As believers, whatever we understand in the Bible, it's not just enough to apply it. After applying it, And when the fruit of the message is seen in your life, the next job is to pass it on. So you understand the subject matter, you live it, you see the fruit of the message in your life, you pass it on. And that's what Paul did. So now Paul now talks about judgment, which is also a fundamental truth. When you read Hebrews chapter 6, It talks about some fundamental principles, about six of them. One is resurrection, another is judgment. So I've just mentioned two out of the six. There are four more, which has to do with baptisms and faith, which I wouldn't want to go into. Paul, now after he has spoken about the resurrection, talked about judgment. That one day, church, you have to know that all of us, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And when we stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ, we are going to give an account with what we did in our body. I find it funny that it didn't use with our body, but in our body. 
And the reason why it makes such a huge difference is you are not your body. That is why it didn't say with your body. It says in your body. So your body is the house that houses you in this flesh. That's why you can't identify a person by his exterior. Light-skinned, black, six feet, six feet, four feet, stocky, fat, lean, muscular. That is not you. And we, we, we advocate self-care, take care of the body, because without the body, you can't function. But your body is not you. No matter how much you paint this body and, 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 and you know, cosmeticize it, you are still in a body. Your real you is the spirit man that is going to be revealed on the day of resurrection. But I think that's very important for us to note. We are going to give an account of what we did with our body, whether it be good or bad. And from what I understand when I read this scripture, these two truths always have to be at the forefront of our mind, especially when we call ourselves believers. We have to understand that one day we are going to experience what is called judgment. We have to know that as believers, one day we are going to be candidates of the resurrection. I think when you have these two truths, these two truths will help you to soldier on, it will help you to focus, and it will help you to define what is the bigger goal or the bigger picture at hand. Judgment. Many believers don't think about judgment because it's not at the forefront of our mind. We will be judged one day. And Apostle Paul lets us know that everybody, all of us, we will stand in front of the Lord, whether we were present or we were absent. So if you are dead, you will be resurrected. Death is not an escape for judgment. All of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. When we appear, we are all going to give an account of what we did in our body. So let that ring. Anything that we did, we'll give an account. Are we living our lives as such to know that one day we will be judged? That should be on the forefront of our mind as Christians. Secondly, are we living lives that are acceptable and pleasing to the Lord that one day we will be candidates of the resurrection? That should also be on the forefront of our mind. So Paul delivered these two weighty truths to the Corinth church. And on the heels of these two weighty truths, he now began to implore upon the church because the church, they are saved the importance of being reconciled to God. And sometimes in the church, you can have pockets of unbelievers here and there, but the church largely is a group of people who are saved. But for the pockets of people who are unsaved, this will be a good opportunity for them to understand 
what it means to be reconciled to God. And Paul used that word reconcile as a euphemism. All that he was trying to talk about was you have to be connected to God. You have to be connected to God so that you don't miss out on the big extravaganza. And the big extravaganza for us Christians is not we have won lottery. The big extravaganza for us is not because we have won a car. The big extravaganza for us is that we will partake of the new resurrection whereby we will experience the the process of glorification. And when we are glorified, it means that this corruptible body will drop and we will have incorruptible body. The Bible lets us know that this mortal body will drop and we will have immortal bodies. The Bible says that we will be changed in a second. And that is when we will have, all of us will have a perception of who the real us is. So Paul was saying that be reconciled to God so that you don't miss on this extravaganza. Secondly, be reconciled to God or be connected to God. Because when you are connected to God and when you stand to give an account or render what you have done in this body, whether it be good or bad, you will receive the reward that is your just due. Especially if we are Christians and we understand that we will have boldness on the day of judgment. But Apostle Paul was making this known so that people will understand connection to God. So today, if you are listening to me, you might be listening to me maybe in your car, podcast, uh, wherever, maybe someone may have passed you on this message, you can't partake of the resurrection. You, you, you might not experience an easy trial when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ if you are not connected to God. There are many people who believe rather in their good works. You see, I'm here to tell you that it's not good works per se that will take people to heaven. It is receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. Admonishing and confessing him that he is your master. That is the first base by which you will have favor in front of the Lord at the judgment seat. Because anything that we will do outside a relationship, outside connection to God, it's not going to hold water on the judgment seat. So Paul is saying that if we really want to experience the resurrection, whereby we can truly say that we walk by faith and not by sight, if we really want to experience a fair trial at the judgment seat, I implore you that you become connected to God. So based on this now, he he talks about some things which I just read in the last four verses of the chapter. That's chapter five. And that's what we are going to look at. He says that when one becomes reconciled to God, now the common word that we've read in our scripture here has been reconciled, reconciling, reconciliation. 
it all has to do with one word, reconcile. And that word appears five times. So what is the meaning of the word reconcile? Reconcile simply means to restore a broken relationship. That's all. So Paul is saying that when we become connected to God, we are a new creation. We are a new creation. It means we have been regenerated in Christ. And I like the word regenerated because regenerated means new life has been breathed in us. We are a new species of being that has never existed before. Christianity is not renovation. This is different from renovation. When we experience being born again, when we experience salvation, when we experience the new birth, we are born anew. We are a new species of being that has never existed before. We are, we are not an old car that has been renovated. Okay, you tear the, the seats, the upholstery, you put new seats in it, you change the tires, you change the, everything else. That's renovation. Christianity or coming into Christ is not renovation. It's not renovation. We are changed anew, brand new. We don't have a history. That's what you have to know. You don't have a history. Two, you have a new nature. Three, your old nature has died. You have to understand that when you receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, these are the processes you undergo. You are a new creation. You are a new species of being that has never existed before. And there is one thing I like about being new in Christ. You never become old. You never become old. You know that when I buy something, the force of time just makes it old. That's a fact. If I buy a new car and I drive it from the showroom, the force of time will make it old. That's it. But in, in salvation, I could have received Christ 30 years ago. I'm still a new creation. I'm not old. I can't drive a car for 30 years and I'll still say it's a new car. Who are you deceiving? It's an old car. It's an old car. <laughs> Every year, about two or three different models of the same car are released. You're an old model. So if you drive a car for 30 years, can you imagine the models you would have missed? But in Christianity, 30 years, you may have received Christ 30 years ago. You are still new creation. You, would have received, you could have received Christ a year ago, one month ago. You are still new creation. That never changes. This newness, it doesn't wear out. The force of, it's not subjected to the force of time. Why? Because it's talking about we are a brand new creation 
that has never existed before. That is what being connected to God does. So Apostle Paul is letting the church know. Maybe you might not know, but I'm speaking it to you in plain language. That once you become connected to God, you are a new creation. So that is very important for us to know that. Then now, Apostle Paul goes on to explain how we became new creation. How did we become a brand new species of being that has never existed before? That happened through reconciliation. That's why the four verses we read, that is the most common word there. It's mentioned five times. Apostle Paul just drew the effect. You know, he repeated that word several times because he wanted to draw emphasis on the word reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is not really a Bible term. It's more like a judicial term. You know, it's it's used in matters of arbitrary, right? So sometimes when people are feuding, they take people to what they call the council of elders or people at the elders at the gate of the city. You know, that was what they did in the old days. And then you sit before a council and the council will try to hear both feuding parties out and then the resolve of the council is to make sure that before the meeting is over, one way or another, let's abridge the differences so that if the friendship is broken due to X, Y, Z reason, by the time they will leave, they will come back to harmony. Now, Apostle Paul used that picture to paint our salvation experience of what the gospel has done for us to regain connection to God. Amen. Now, what you have to understand is sin made us estranged from God. We had a relationship with God through the father of the human race who was Adam. Adam sinned and then the relationship was estranged. And it was estranged through sin. And what we have to understand is that the implications of it was that we, we, we died. The Bible says that for the wages of sin is death. When you read Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible lets us know by nature we became children of wrath. We didn't have a good destiny. We were destined and we were doomed for judgment and death. But thank God for the gospel. Because of the gospel, the Bible lets us know that the gospel has restored the friendship, the relationship that God had with humanity. That relationship that was estranged because of sin, that relationship that was estranged because of man's disobedience, that led to a, a penalty of death. That led to a penalty of doom and destruction. That led to the whole human race becoming objects of his wrath. The Bible lets us know that this gospel has enough power to reconcile us back to God. Just like you have in your mind's eye, 
when you see two feuding parties who are able to make up again and live in harmony, this same gospel has had this same effect upon us, but even much more better. The gospel restored our relationship with God, so we are no longer under his wrath, but we incur his good pleasure. So once maybe God will not want anything to do with us because of sin, because he is a holy God, but now we incur his good pleasure because the gospel has reconnected us together and now we live in harmony because of this gospel. We will reign and rule with him in the new Jerusalem, which will be our final destination. I believe one of the best series we had this year was on Pastor Robert's message on the book of Revelation. Spend some powerful Wednesdays dealing with that. And if you want to understand your destiny as a believer, if you want to understand your ending as a believer, I advise you to listen to those messages. It's on our podcast, Pastor Robert's The Book of Revelation. Now, in verses 19 to 21, Paul goes ahead to now explain that to the extent at which reconciliation has worked on our behalf. Our trespasses are no longer imputed. And impute was an accounting word. It means to credit. So our trespasses are not credited to our account. So if you have an account, I believe we all know credits and debits. The money that you receive in your account is what you are credited with. The money that you spend is what has been debited. Now, in our accounts, if we should put it in financial terms, when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we have been credited with righteousness. In the olden days, before man received Christ as his Lord and personal Savior, by nature, they were credited with trespasses to the account. But now, thanks be to God, because of the power of the reconciling gospel, we have been credited with God's righteousness. He has not credited to our account trespasses. That's why as a Christian, you can shout and rejoice. Because when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we are righteous because God has imputed to us, just like an account will be credited with, he has imputed upon us righteousness. He is not crediting to our account trespasses. It's rather debited. That's why when we come into Christianity, one of the promises we can hold on fast to is that our sins have been washed away. Our sins and iniquity, he will remember no more. It's debited. Ladies and gentlemen, when you receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, because of the power of reconciliation, you are not a sinner. You are the righteousness of God because trespasses have not been imputed to your account. And not just that, he also said that he has made us ambassadors. That is a big position. Do you know who an ambassador is? 
An ambassador is an official who represents his country in another country. So, we who were estranged from God because of sin, we who were sinners because it was credited to our account based on the fall of one man, now we are now his representatives. We are not privy to his counsel. We are now in the know of God's counsel. You know, to be an ambassador, you need to know. You need to know. Because if you don't know, you can't represent the country. So for us to now be called ambassadors, it simply means that we are now his trusted delegates and we are representatives of God's kingdom to the world. So you're an ambassador. Don't forget that. God is counting on you to make known what you know to the world, to represent him in a good light to the world. You are his ambassador. That's why scripture says that we are God's living epistles. We are living epistles because we are to represent the kingdom of God to the world. So when it comes to preaching, thank God that we preach with our mouths, but we also preach with our lives, our lifestyle. People should be able to look at our lifestyle and not just judge us by what we say, but they will also judge us by our deeds, our fruits, our motives, knowing that of a truth, we are Christians. Ambassadors represent And as Christians, we have also been called into this high office of being an ambassador to represent God. And we represent God by making known his virtues, his virtues of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We are to make known these virtues. That is what it means to function in an ambassadorial capacity. We are to make known the attributes of God. Uh, Jesus once said something in Matthew 23, verse 23. Uh, you tithe, but you have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Uh, these things you ought to have done and not leave the others undone. And what were the weightier matters? Um, faithfulness, uh, justice, and mercy. So as Christians, when we, 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 we call ourselves ambassadors, we are supposed to represent these in the respective light of God. Mercy has to be seen. Faithfulness has to be seen. Justice has to be seen. So when we call ourselves ambassadors, it's, it's not like how we will see it in the earthly realm, but it's just a concept. That means that we represent God in a godly fashion that people will be able to tell of a truth that we are Christians. We are the righteousness of God. And that's a beautiful one. We who were sinners, now we are the righteousness of God. And all these have been made possible by reconciliation. That is the power of reconciliation. So Paul made the Corinthians know their newfound favor in God. Paul made them know 
their newfound status or privilege that they had in Christ. It is possible that some may have been Christians for long, but maybe they may have not had these truths. And sometimes in the church, there are people who may have been Christians for long or who may have been churchgoers for long, but they may not know these truths. It's very important for you to know that you are the righteousness of God. You are an ambassador. You are supposed to represent God in a godly fashion where his virtues are freely flowing to you, being a blessing to mankind so that people can observe, people can see, people can know that of a truth, you are a Christian. Our trespasses are not imputed. They are not credited to our accounts. We are the righteousness of God. When you become a believer, you experience righteousness daily because righteousness is credited to your account. We are not destined or doomed for destruction. We will partake of the resurrection. Hence, Paul's admonition to the Corinth church in the first opening verses of chapter 5. We also have to know that he has restored our relationship. So we and God are on good terms. We are no longer incurring his wrath, but we incur his good pleasure. We have to know that we were estranged from our father because of Adam. But thanks be to God that the gospel has enough reconciliatory power to harmonize us with God that we don't have any beef with him. Today, when we stand in front of God, there is no ill will, there is no malice because the penalty for sin has been paid. It's important for us to know that. But all these were made possible by the avenue of reconciliation. And just like I've explained, to reconcile means to restore a relationship that was once broken. Now, Apostle Paul goes on to talk about a heavy task. He didn't just end at us or believers in Corinth experiencing their new found status or privilege or having favor with God. He could have ended it there. So enjoy it. But now he goes on to something meaty. He says, now God has delegated to your task the ministry of reconciliation and has committed to your trust the word of reconciliation. So two things have been given to us. The ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation. So as believers, it's not just okay to say we will partake of the new resurrection. Glory be to God. Our corruption will drop. We will put on incorruptibility. Our mortality will drop. We will put on immortality. We will be glorified. We will be changed. It's good. Thank God. We, we rejoice in that. It's not just enough to say that I have boldness to stand in the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Because of my connection to God. And I know that whatever I have done in this body will be good. Because I don't boast of my good works. I boast in him because in him I live, in him I move, in him I have my being. I have no condemnation. I have no fear that when I stand in the day of judgment, I'm, I'm doomed for destruction. 
Because my love is made perfect, knowing that God loves me. I have boldness at the day of judgment. That's not enough. Thank God for the newfound privilege and status and favor we've had with God. It's not enough. What we have to get this morning from what Apostle Paul wrote was that we have been tasked with the responsibility of the ministry of reconciliation. And the word of reconciliation has been given to us. And what is the job? The job is now to go and tell people of our experience. What's the experience? Your experience was, I was estranged from God because I was a sinner. But now I've been reconciled by the power of the gospel. That is your job. That's not God's job. That's not an angel's job. That is every believer, including the pastor. Every believer. It's not just exclusively a pastor's job. Every believer. People have to know that God is not counting sins against you. Why? Because someone has stood in your behalf and paid. His name is Jesus. And that is why we commemorate Easter. We commemorate Easter because Jesus Christ, with his body on the cross, put a payment to the sins of this world. He paid for the sins of this world that God is not imputing trespasses, but he's rather reconciling the world to himself. He rather wants to have harmony, friendship, relationship with the world. But that can't happen unless it goes through the avenue of the gospel. And the gospel will not just travel from A to Z. It will travel because we who are now recipients of his love, we who are now have experienced that as ambassadors, we will take the word. That's the only way it's going to go. Romans chapter 10. Apostle Paul asked the question, how will the people hear if nobody preaches it? That's a question. And today that's the question we ask. How will people know God has reconciled the world to himself? God has reconciled the world to himself that if you receive him as Lord and personal savior, your sins are forgiven. You will partake of the new resurrection You will have boldness on the day of judgment, knowing that you are not doomed for destruction. You are his ambassador. Not just that, but you are also the righteousness of God. How would they know that? How would they know this gospel? They are never going to know this gospel until someone opens his or her mouth and preach that gospel. So God has taxed a bigger responsibility on us. And when we talk about the word ministry of reconciliation, the word ministry in the Greek means office and administration. So we are to step into the office of reconciliation and we are to effectively administer our duty accordingly. And what does it mean to administer 
the duty of reconciliation. To administer the duty of reconciliation simply means to preach the gospel. And when you are preaching the gospel to the world to receive Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, it's reconciliation. They have to know the Father's love for this world. By him sending his son, that's the first sign. He sent his son because he loved this world. Number two, he has paid for the sins of this world so that he can have relationship with man. And the relationship has been restored back to the original just as it was. And we who have become recipients of that, we have to travel with this message, the ministry of reconciliation. So pray. Take this serious. Start with your friends. Start with your neighbors. Start with people you know. Start with your family members. Start with people you go on picnics with. Start with people who you go to parties with. Start with people who you go to beaches with. Start with people who you go on lunch breaks with. Let them know that, hey, life is good on this earth, but I've got something better to you. God is not angry at you. He has reconciled you back to himself by the power of the gospel. I think I have to let you know so that you will make a good decision that will secure your eternity and your destiny. It's not just about enjoying on this earth. There is a hereafter. There is the age to come. And that's why if Christians, we are mindful of judgments, it will inform our agency it will whip up our passion and appetites to make the message known. So God has called us into the ministry of reconciliation. We are to stand in the office of reconciliation and administer effectively our duty as ministers of reconciliation. How do you win the world to Christ? with the word of reconciliation. Remember that. Not with the word of condemnation, the word of reconciliation. That is how you win them. Go with your experience. You who were once estranged from the love of God due to sin, you have now experienced the love of God. And because you have experienced the love of God, you stand in a better position to offer that same experience to one another. I pray this morning that may we be conscious of our ministry of reconciliation. May we gain cognizance of what it really means to reconcile people to God. It's your concern. It's your concern. Someone will say, I don't care, it's not my concern. It's your concern. Because mind you, at the end of the day, all of us are going to stand and we will give an account of what we did in our body. Reconcile someone. Because someone will never know this truth until you open your mouth. People have to know that God is not 
counting trespasses. He's not crediting trespasses to the world. He's not because he has sent his son. But people don't know that. And I don't expect the world to know. Because if we, the Christians who know, if we are keeping quiet, how will they know? Bad iron heads. Lord, in the next four weeks, may we be convicted, may we be touched, may we be passionate, may we have fire in our bones, may we have urgency, may our tone have a sense of urgency, may we have your love, may we capture your love, what it truly means to commit to the world and to our immediate audience that you have reconciled us back to yourself because of the power of the safe gospel which came through your son dying for us. Father, our response to what we've heard today is that we will go forth with the message. We will be yielded vessels. We will yield ourselves, O Lord, and we will do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Time for communion.